Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. You've got a Bible this morning. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen and back of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll get there in just a moment. Today we're going to look at a passage where Paul contrasts worldly wisdom with spiritual wisdom, the wisdom of man with the wisdom of God. And I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Are you living by the world's wisdom or are you living by God's wisdom? So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning with verse 6. This is the Word of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And so Paul contrasts two types of wisdom. Let's begin with worldly wisdom, verse 6 again. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age. So he begins by saying that there's a wisdom of this age. This is an alluring kind of wisdom. When he phrases this, of this age, he's, he's not referring to a period of time. But this is this present, evil, fallen world that we live in. In chapter 1, verse 20, he's already said, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so he uses this word age and world interchangeably. And so what is this worldly wisdom? The city of Corinth, as you recall, was a city that was thriving it was a metropolitan city and known for its wealth and its status and its power and its influence. And so the things that they valued were very similar to what we value today in our world as well. Corinth had these cultural and political elites who were persuading people with their words and their worldly wisdom. Today we have politicians philosophers, Hollywood stars, musicians who are persuading us with their views and ideas and it's easy for us to be swept right up into the current of our culture, to be swayed by their ideas. It's enticing, it's tempting. And yet Paul has said earlier in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, a familiar verse, he says, do not be conformed to this world or to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So don't be sucked into the world's mold. John says something similar in 1 John 2, 15 to 16. He writes, do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, the Corinthians were prideful, is not from the Father but is from the world. Jesus himself in Matthew 7, he's speaking to his own disciples and those who were gathered around him on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so Jesus is picturing this life with two different paths to choose from, the wide an easy path that most people will follow along in this world in the straight and narrow path that Jesus has called us to live by based upon his wisdom. It reminds me of the Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you guys are familiar with that book. If not, I invite you to consider getting the children's version of this book, right? Uh, the, the adult version is really hard to read. But the kids' version, it will pull you in. And it'll be great for your kids as they grow up to understand that there is a culture who's trying to manipulate you, trying to persuade you. It's an allegory of how this man, Christian, is going along the path and he meets people like worldly wise men who tries to get him off the path and convince him to walk in the ways of the world. And so we see first and foremost here that that worldly wisdom is alluring. Secondly, it's passing. It's passing. Verse 6 again. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, to pass away, to come to nothing. So there are rulers in the world, we're going to talk about who these are in just a minute, and those who follow these earthly rulers, these worldly men, and it doesn't matter how much they know, what their status is, what their ego is, how much money they make, eventually they're going to die, they're going to be put into a box, Their lives are coming to an end. And in Mark 8, 36, it says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? That doesn't make any sense, right? But so many of us are pouring all of our energy, all of our time, all of our money, all of what we value into the the world. This world's passing away. We're all coming to an end here. And if we live for this world and think there's nothing beyond this world... Man, we should be pitied for that. Many people are working hard to create heaven on earth. What a sad thing. The best is yet to come if we're Christians. So this worldly wisdom is alluring. It's passing. And thirdly, it's blinding. Look at verses 8 and 9. It's blinding. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So the rulers of this age, they couldn't understand. They couldn't see, literally. They couldn't see. Now, some think these were demonic powers. I don't think that that's what Paul's referring to here. I think he's thinking of actual earthly leaders in Jesus' day who were Roman authorities, Jewish authorities, who couldn't understand this, this king who was crucified on a cross. In Acts chapter 13, it says this, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or see him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And so these earthly rulers, they were blinded. They, they could not recognize that in front of them stood the king of all kings being crucified 
on a cross. They couldn't see. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says this about us prior to our salvation. In their case, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I'm praying even today that God would take off the blinders off your eyes if you're not yet understanding the way of wisdom, the way of the cross. Because listen, the cross is the test. It's the test of understanding wisdom, what you do with the cross. So much of this world could care less about the cross. It's all about you and and what you got to do. It's not so much about Jesus and what he's done for you. We want Jesus to be our ticket to heaven, a means to an end, to make our marriage better, to make our life better, but not as Lord, not as ruler of my life, not as the Lord of glory. And so worldly wisdom is alluring. It's passing. It's attractive to us, but it's passing and it's blinding. Contrast that then with spiritual wisdom. Look at verse 7. But we impart, Paul says, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So this spiritual wisdom, in contrast, it's a secret. Now, in in Paul's day, in in the city of Corinth, there were people who were self-appointed, this inner circle of people who actually thought they had this wisdom, that they had superior knowledge, and they had the secret inside of them. So Paul, I think, is playing off of their idea of maturity and and their idea of wisdom and saying, no, 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 wait, the secret is found in Christ. It's this hidden wisdom that's revealed in Jesus. The word secret in the original language is this word mysterion, where we get the word mystery. So listen, wisdom is not a puzzle that's impossible for us to solve. It's a mystery that's been revealed to us in Jesus. It's not a puzzle that's impossible for us to solve. It's a mystery that's been revealed to us in Jesus. This is the gospel The message of the cross that Paul spoke about in Ephesians 3, 8, and 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this word mystery in the Bible, whenever you see that word, it means something that was once hidden but now has been revealed. So what's been hidden in this idea of wisdom has been revealed through the cross. The message of the cross shows the wisdom of God. Nothing more, nothing more flashy than that. That is where we see the wisdom of God on display. So spiritual wisdom, it's a secret. Secondly, it's eternal. It's eternal. Verse 7 again. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Before the ages. In eternity past, and seeds this past week, if you kids were there, you adults who serve in that ministry, I'm so thankful, you learn that God is eternal, right? He has no beginning or end. He's he's like a circle, right? You learn this little action to go along with it. No beginning or end. God is eternal. And in eternity, he planned this, this purposefully where the Trinity would destine us for glory, It's incredible. There's something greater than what this world has to offer. It's coming to us in Christ. It's been part of his eternal plan. This world is passing away, but we have wisdom that's eternal. 
And we will experience glory one day with this great God. So this spiritual wisdom is it's a secret, it's eternal, and then thirdly, it's been revealed to us, verse 9 and 10. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So listen, we can't figure this out on our own. This is not by our human reason It's by revelation. It's by the Holy Spirit of God. It's like the story that that Jeff shared about this woman who couldn't resist this power outside of her to come in to the church. The Holy Spirit was drawing her, revealing himself to her in her need for Christ. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. He's not speaking about heaven here. He's speaking about wisdom. Wisdom that's found in Christ alone, and it's been revealed to us. The mystery has been uncovered. It's been unveiled. Guys, the wisdom that's needed for salvation is not found in this world. It must be revealed through the Spirit, through the Spirit of God. That's how it's revealed. And so, just by way of review, worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom, it's alluring. It is. It's attractive to us, and it's passing And it's blinding. On the opposite end of things, to contrast that with spiritual wisdom, spiritual wisdom, it's a secret. It's a secret. It's eternal, and it's been revealed to us. Now, Paul kind of pauses here and discusses a little bit more about the role of the Spirit in granting us wisdom that leads to salvation. So look at verses 10 to 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of, what, of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he says three things about the role of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we don't understand the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's come to do. First off, the Spirit knows God. He knows the depths of God. He knows the depths of God. Romans eleven thirty three. Paul rejoices to say this, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Who knows the depths of God? Only God, the Spirit of God. And he uses this example in our lives. In verse 11, he says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Right? So none of us are mind readers. Husbands, our, our wives would like us to be, right? <laughs> to, to read their minds at times. And, and this is not a cop-out, by the way. I was reminded this past week, First uh, Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. So seek to know and understand them well. Take mental notes, husbands. But we can't read our wives' minds, right? Nobody's a mind reader. You are the only one who knows your thoughts within you. And God is the only one who knows the depths of God. His spirit knows Secondly, the Spirit not only knows God, the Spirit is given to the people of God. It's given to the people of God. Notice in verse 12, freely, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you repent of your sins and believe in Him, the Spirit now comes to indwell you 
and it testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. Romans 8.15 says this very thing. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We receive the spirit of God. The spirit is now in us. Thirdly, the spirit not only is given to the people of God, the spirit works through the word of God. Verse 13, and we impart this in words. We share this message in words. The Spirit of God moves through the Word of God, not through experience, not through goosebumps. Some of us want to experience the Spirit and feeling a certain way. The Spirit works through the Word, the Gospel Word, and illuminates our mind to the truth. And yes, affections ought to accompany uh, that truth. So that's the role of the Spirit and worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom And I want to stop and ask this question, so what, right? So what? What what, what do we do with all of that? There's just a lot for us to to, to kind of think about here. And here's the question. When it comes right down to it, are you someone who's following after the wisdom of this world or are you following after the wisdom of God? Are you a worldly person or are you a spiritual person? Do you have the spirit? Or are you without the Spirit? Look at verses 14 to 16. He says, The natural person, this is the worldly person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so the worldly person over here and the spiritual person. Be honest with yourself, which one are you? The natural person or the person in the flesh, all right, fallen, sinful flesh, this is every one of us apart from God's grace, does not accept the things of God. So we're talking about the worldly person over here does not accept the things of God. Secondly, a worldly person thinks the cross is foolish, now, be careful here because there may be some of you out here today who may be thinking, well, that's not me. I, don't, I, I respect what happened there. But are you making light of the cross and making much of yourself? In this way, we are swept up into the culture, the world around us, where we begin to tune out when the preacher starts talking about the cross. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. I know I'm forgiven. I got a ticket to heaven. Why do you keep talking about Jesus and the cross? Show me something that can make my life better. Something that I can be more successful. Motivate me, preacher. And listen, be careful. Are you living for the world? Are you making light of the cross? Thirdly, the person, the worldly person, cannot grasp the significance of the cross because you do not have the capacity to see the resources to recognize what happened there. Why? Because you don't have the Spirit of God. So this is kind of a dark picture for those of us who are still here living according to the world. Ask yourself, is this me? I I have trouble understanding, checking out, and really getting what happens there at the cross. I don't really care all that much anyway. I'm more concerned about me and my life and what's going on in my world and what's going on out there in the world. Are you a worldly person? 
Or are you a spiritual person on the, on the other end of things, a person with the Spirit of God who has been converted by Jesus Christ now accepts the things of God? You welcome the Word of God in your life. You, you want to know what's in here because it's the wisdom that leads to salvation and the wisdom that continues to lead you in your life. Secondly, you embrace the cross Man, you submit to what happened there for you. You embrace this message of Jesus and him crucified. You need it, not only for your salvation, but for today. You need his grace. And thirdly, you can understand spiritual realities. Your eyes have been opened now to see. So the word of God is coming to life. It is your life. You, you listen and you want to know you're hungry for it. And so as we, as we step back from this, to kind of be honest here with yourself, are you living by the, the wisdom of this world? Or are you living by the wisdom of God? Are you a worldly person or are you a spiritual person? Paul's purpose here, again, is to confound the wisdom of man, to knock down human pride and to exalt God's grace. That's why he reveals this wisdom the way he does. He reveals it to us so that nobody can boast, right? That, oh, that was me. Yeah, I came to understand this whole Christianity thing because I, I read this and I'm able to comprehend and I'm getting it and I'm growing and I'm fine. No, it's revealed to us. And let me show you the way we ought to come to kind of highlight Paul's teaching through the lens of Jesus. So in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, Jesus says these words, and the Sermon on the Mount, or I'm sorry, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, he says these words, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So here we have Jesus himself, Paul's just echoing his words, talking about the wise and intelligent in the world. And I'm just going to kind of give this uh, top hat to represent the wisdom of this world, right? This high and lofty intellect, right? This political, cultural understanding of the world. And sometimes we try to come to God with our own wisdom, with our accomplishments. What we value in this life is what I've done for God. And we take pride in all of that. And we think that's the way that I'm going to have wisdom with my big head full of knowledge. Jesus says, the Lord of heaven and earth has hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Those who would continue to boast in their own wisdom, those who would continue to live by their own accomplishments, those who continue to live based upon what they have done and what they have known, their strength and their ability to understand. In contrast, Jesus says, no, I don't want you to come that way to me. I want you to come to me like a little child, like a, like a little infant. What's, what's the difference between an infant and the wise and intelligent? The infant understands that I'm not self-sufficient. I have nothing here on my own to give to God. I come with utter dependence upon him for everything and has humbled themselves to the point where they can only embrace Jesus 
as a lost sinner in need of his grace. And that kind of person, when God reveals himself, is delighted for that person to receive this gospel. Doesn't mean you check your brain at the door. It means you're ready to depend upon Christ alone. And so as I close, what's your response? If you have had your eyes open to see Jesus and you're clinging to the cross and you have this spiritual wisdom about you, you've come with dependency upon him, it ought to humble you and fill you with gratitude when you consider what Jesus has done for you in revealing himself through the cross. And secondly, if you're one who is still living according to the world, still living by the world's wisdom, thinking your wisdom and your intelligence, your works are going to get you in, forsake your pride today. Lay it down and flee to Christ. Come to Him for true wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we know that wisdom is found in the cross. Wisdom is found in us coming as babes to you. For you don't need us in all the accomplishments and all the things that we try to bring before you to impress you. You simply want us to come understanding that we are sinners and in need of a Savior, understanding that we are weak and you are the strong one. And so I pray that in this moment you would grant the gift of faith, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to our hearts and draw us to you. And may we live by this wisdom, God, as we continue to make progress in the Christian life. Help us to not get sucked in or drawn back into the world's wisdom, but to live by the Spirit, we pray in Christ's name.